Hey guys, uh, Stefan and Simon are here to talk with us about uh, jurisdictional arbitrage or being expats in in a different country. Welcome to the show, Stefan and Simon. Thank hey, you. Thanks for having us. Right. <laughs> yeah, you guys are uh, both very interesting sort of cases. Uh, I mean, Stefan, you obviously do your podcast and Simon, you you do uh, development on mempool that space. Um, I, I'd like to start off by asking, like, wait, how, how'd you end up where you are, right? Uh, and what led to that decision? Yeah, Simon, do you want to go? Yeah. Oh, sure. I mean, it's a long journey if I'm going to tell the whole story. But I mean, I started when I grew up in Sweden. I was working in development and then I got into um, reading about more about Austrian economics, libertarianism and that stuff. So I got those ideas. And then I started to become more interested in Bitcoin. And then at one point, after doing some travel, I was living in China for a while and come back, I started to get a more broader view of the world, that the world is not just centered around where you live, right? So I always had, always had this itch that I would like to live abroad, live in some country that is more like free. I had a dream of going to live in Singapore at one point because it was like the role model capitalist country where it's like, high salary, safe and low taxes and all that. But eventually I ended up uh, moving to Malta back in 17. And one of the reasons was that I wanted to move to a Bitcoin friendly jurisdiction. Like, and Bitcoin was officially no tax on Bitcoin at that point. So I moved there, but I stayed there for a while, but then I started moving elsewhere. Like, and now, now I'm based in Dubai, but I think that that initial jump uh, outside of Sweden is like the biggest step like leaving your home country moving somewhere else it's just like it brought in your mind some at, at a point you can't imagine before you actually do it yourself and you start to change your worldview and i was just i wanted to focus on bitcoin complete uh, full time which i did i was working i was starting to develop some projects and in 2018 i started to develop the mempels.space website which took off as a successful project as it is now which is great so i'm working on it full time now so that's Great. basically the my story. Great. All right. So I'll um I, you know again I won't I won't do my whole life story, but I'll give a quick kind of <laughs> synopsis, and you you know you tell me wherever you want to dig into. But mm. born in Sri Lanka, but raised in Australia, and mm. for most of my life now I was a libertarian, but for most of my life I probably wasn't that serious about trying to go overseas. It wasn't a big deal <laughs> to me, but mm. obviously in 2020 the hysteria happened, and <laughs> I was locked into the country. And mm. this was at a point where I was getting invited to speak to at events and I was quite literally just being stopped from doing my job. And at the mm. same time, being forced to pay very high taxes in Australia, it made me think very much about escape plans. Mm. And so mm. that was where I became a lot more open-minded to actually going and living in other countries. Now, previously I'd mm. traveled around a reasonable amount. I wasn't like the biggest traveler out there, but I had some experience and I also had some exposure to the idea that, you know what, just because you're born somewhere, it doesn't mean you have to die there. That mm -mm. there are options around the world, depending on where you're from and so on. D can, you, can you lower your taxes? Can you go somewhere that's lower cost of living? Can you go somewhere with a different culture that's more amenable to how you would like to live? Uh, mm -hmm. There's all kinds of other things that you can explore when you start looking beyond just the place that you were born in or just the place that you grew up in. Mm. Well, so, so yeah. it, it sounds like both of you had 
kind of different reasons, but mostly around freedom and, you know, culture and things like that. Uh, tell me more about uh, why you specifically chose where you are now. So for me, it's, pr look, I'll be honest, the taxes, yeah. right? Dubai has mm. very low taxes. And mm. that was a big factor for me in uh, simplifying my setup and being able to keep more of what I actually earn. Basically, having a low-tax country means that you can keep more of what you earn. You can either spend that on your family or on yourself or save that and invest that. And so that was a big factor. The other factor for me in Dubai is it's very safe. So that's really good in terms of crime statistics, in terms of you know murder rate, theft rate, all these kinds of things. That, that's quite low. Dubai is also very well connected. So it's quite easy to fly around to many big cities around the world. Um, there's also a pretty good... Uh, meetup scene. So we have a Bitcoin meetup. Obviously, Simon and I go to that, and we have uh, an Austrian economics meetup here. Um, and you know, there's just you know, there's just good uh, connections that you can make being here. So I guess in a nutshell, th those are probably some of the key things. Um, but then you also want to think about location as well. Like so, for example, I have family back in Sri Lanka. Dubai is a short flight to Sri Lanka, so that's like another reason why Dubai just made a lot of sense for me, right? So my point of view is not like oh, everyone has to move to Dubai. It's more like Mm. Be open-minded. Find a place that works for yourself and for your family. Mm. Yeah, for me, uh, it it feels like I came here by accident because back in 2021, I I was going to the Miami conference and I was actually in Vietnam at that time. I was just enjoying the freedom in Vietnam, traveling around while everyone else was back in lockdowns in Europe and the Western stuff. But I was going to Miami, so I had to fly through Dubai. I didn't like Dubai at all, like my impression of Dubai. I just didn't like it. So I, I went to Dubai and spent a few weeks before flying, doing the Dubai-Miami flight or something. I think it was something like that. And as, and being here, I'm like, wow, this is not what I expected at all. And now I'm a, and then I became a resident, so I decided to become a resident. And just the fact that, just what Stefan Vera said, like the tax situation here is, is crazy. Like you get a residence permit and, here and now you're a resident and there's no tax filing. You don't have to care about any personal tax filing uh, anymore, which is crazy. And then you have all the other benefits. It's safe, it's convenient. It's, uh, you have direct flight with one of the best airlines in the world to all the cities in the world. So it's ex extremely good to have us like a base place so that's i think that's why i've been staying in dubai and probably gonna have this as a hub going forward as well <laughs> but because back when i moved here and decided to move here all the rest of the uh, countries i was considering i was considering malta cyprus portugal some of these countries but they were all on lockdown and you had to have three doses or something like that to, to get in even so i was like screw <laughs> those places those, those up off the off the chart already. Right? it's like dubai is like one of the few places you actually could go to so yeah that's how I ended up here wow. and I'm staying. I mean, that, that's an interesting thing because in a sense, we, we've, I, I think, always thought, at least prior to 2020, uh, of Australia, Western Europe, even the United States as free places. But what both of you guys are telling me is that Dubai was actually freer than those places in terms of, you know, vaccine lockdowns and, uh, you know, the doses required and things like that. Right. Yeah, yeah I would this say is that like... was because of Expo 2020 at the time. So because they were mm. having this big event and the whole point of this event was to get people from around the world to come, they, mm. by necessity, had to be more open for the tourism sake. Mm. So I wasn't here at, the, at that time in Dubai, but I understand they had an early lockdown that was pretty strict. But then after that, they were basically one of the more open places 
you know, during the hysteria? I think it's because Dubai is this economic hub that's the, the all of the economy is just based on tourism and people coming here and spending money. So, I mean, you can't just cut that off and just block everyone because then you lose the whole economy. So I think they had to stay open. Well, so let's get into sort of the logistics a little bit, because I, I, I think a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast, they, they have some interest in figuring out where to go. So what, what were some uh, some like practical logistical things that you had to deal with when moving to, you know, to Dubai, obviously, but something that can be uh, applied to wherever you go. If you were to go to Singapore or Vietnam or wherever it is, like what are some things that you should think about as uh, someone that's interested in possibly finding another jurisdiction? Yeah, so I would say think about, there's a few things. Like if you're moving for the sake of getting lower taxes, then you also mm. need to think about how to become a tax non-resident. Now, for the American listeners, that's obviously going to be <laughs> hard. But for non-American listeners, pretty much if you research and you take the right steps, you can do this. So for example, it may mean closing down bank accounts in the country that you know that the original in your country that you're from maybe selling your car selling your house doing like kind of cutting off those other ties so that you can then become a non-resident of course it will be different depending on where you are um so i researched that in terms of how to do that for an australian of course that will be different as a you know as a swedish citizen or whatever right um that's one interesting point i mean there's lots of things that you have to research and i guess really one thing you can do is go to these places and trial run, right? Just go and visit for a few weeks and see like, oh, okay, do I like it here? Uh, and, you know, what kind of entry pathways are there? So, for example, can I get a visa as a freelancer? Can I get a visa by setting up a business? Can I get a visa by buying a property? Can I, you know, can I buy a passport? These kinds of things. So there's kinds mm -hmm. of, or purchase citizenship, which entitles you to a passport in that particular mm -hmm. country. So I think it's a range of those things um, and, you know, we can dig into kind of those and how you would research those as well. Um, but that's sort of a very high level view of how you, you know, that's just some of the logistics involved. Um, I mean, there's, there's so many, but, you know, that's enough to start. Mm. Simon, did you have anything that you wanted to add to some, uh, some of what Stefan was saying? Yeah, what he was saying, like, you, you should look for countries that are very expat friendly. And a country like this place is very expat friendly. It, everything is in English, apart from the Arabic. So it's extremely easy to handle uh, bureaucracy and some st stuff like this, visas. And they're very open for to open a company and get a visa here if you are uh, from another country. And it's same, same with Malta. And uh, then you can look, about, uh, there's a list of countries that are very friendly to live in. Like they don't care about everything you earn from other countries. So like, I mean, my... My core, core idea is like following the, the flag theory model, which is super old now. It's like 50 years old. The idea that you should decentralize yourself, so you, you should keep your citizenship in the country you come from. Maybe not if you're American, but then you, <laughs> then you get your resident in a, in a second country. Like just, just, just get that resident residence and you can stay there. And then you can actually, and then you can spend part of your life in a third country. So you just decentralize where you have your assets and, uh, like that and you become like you're freeing yourself from the system basically it's like a hack that's been working for so so long it's just still working like you can be a perpetual tourist basically you like where you live they don't really care about you that much and the home country you're just not registered you don't live there anymore so like 
So I think that's a great goal. And, and I think a lot of the people that are, when you go to Bitcoin conference and there's a lot of people talking about this stuff, you should get your secondary res second residency at like Paraguay and all these places. There's a lot of these residencies that they don't tax you and they don't care what you're doing really. But yeah. you can tell, like you can tell all the authorities and all the banks and all the, that I'm living here. Yeah, and you even so have the new Palau ID, for example, that I'm not sure if it's that great uh, yet, but you can go online, get the Palau residence ID, and then you can open a Binance account with your Palau ID. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, don't connect it to your home country. Yeah, so I think a couple of things you can add there is as part of your research, you can look at what are the countries that would be maybe near me maybe from a time zone perspective. So let's say you're an American and you're looking at where, or a Canadian and you're looking at somewhere to go. Maybe you'd look somewhere in LATAM, right? Maybe you'd look at mm. Mexico or Colombia or, or Argentina or you know, somewhere in LATAM because the time zones line up a bit more easily if you're remote working and uh, mm. your team is also in North America, just as an example. Other things you can do are look at places that have low-cost entry you know footholds right let's say you can you get a, an, a residence permit relatively cheaply or can you get a you know can you open bank accounts relatively easily so those are a few things that you can look at and then from the tax perspective you might be looking at okay what places have either a low tax rate at the headline level or mm. look for this thing are they a territorial tax system and so mm. if that is a territorial tax system then they may not tax you on income that's generated outside of that country. Now, important point to note here is it doesn't just mean, oh, just any territorial tax system and I'm good because they may say, it depends on the type of work you're doing in the business setup you have, that they may say, okay, let's say I go to country X and it's a territorial tax country, but if I do the work in that country, depending on the interpretation of the tax laws, they may say, ah, oh, no, Stefan, even though it's a territorial tax country and even though your client is outside of the country you are in that country doing the work in that country therefore you are taxable so these are mm. you know a few little things that you have to sort of figure out but you can mm. you know depending on how your business or how you are as an individual are structured you might be able to you can find a way to sort of lower your taxes now of course you know that's why in one way it's easy with dubai or relatively easy because it's just zero personal income tax now there is a nine percent <laughs> corporate tax um, but even there, there are free zones and certain exemptions that are, a, that are available depending on what you do. So, mm. you know, that's just like a bit of an overview. The high level answer, though, is look for places with low headline rate taxes or potentially look for places that offer like a territorial tax system where you can have your structure in such a way that allows you to pay less tax. Uh, I, I, it's interesting that both of you are more or less like tax experts at this point on, on, on various yeah. uh, things. Uh, I, I think for a lot, of, a lot of the listeners of this podcast, the, the thing that would be very interesting is what about the current assets that you have? Not necessarily income, because uh, a lot of the tax things that you guys are talking about are with respect to the income that you're earning, maybe as a freelancer, maybe as a business or whatever. Um, but uh, for a lot of Bitcoiners, they, they have Bitcoin, right? <laughs> like, yeah, and right. They, they don't want to incur the significant capital gains taxes that come from a lot of those. Uh, what, what are some strategies that you guys have found to be useful to protect your uh, property, basically, from government theft? I think it's important to like zoom out and, and discuss instead of just technicalities around tax, like discussing like why, what's the point of the whole, like why are we doing this? 
-hmm. And I think one idea I had like 10, year, 10 years ago back home is like, okay, in this country, you have to tax capital gains by 30%, mm -hmm. which means potentially if I start saving all my money in Bitcoin for my family, for my future, and in 40 years from now, I, I need to convert that into a, a house or something for, for anyone. Do I want to pay 30? Let's say Bitcoin goes to a million dollars because they have just crashed the, the fiat currency and they will say, oh, you have to pay, oh, you have this 10,000% of profit. Like not because Bitcoin went up, but because fiat went down. Hmm. And they'll say, oh, you owe us all this stuff and it's going to be as much as buying a whole house maybe. And like, that's my idea. It's like all that money that potentially I just have to give to the government, like I should set up my life to be free from that burden if that happens. So that's why I started to look at like top, which countries are, have no capital gains for, for, for Bitcoin. Oh yeah, Malta, I moved, I'm, I'm starting to move to Malta and I, and I will navigate because you have to think, start thinking long-term, like set up your life. And it's, I, I was listening to your podcast, Stefan, like, I think you were talking with American HODL and you were decided that the book, the um, sovereign individual the, yeah. exactly and you were talking about like the savings and compounding that interest of savings you save is like a million dollars in like 40 years yeah. so that me, you will so have that yeah five thousand so put it this way it's if you could move somewhere and make a tax saving of five thousand dollars per year and you could save and invest that and you did that for 40 years that number is 2.2 million dollars and wow. Put it this way, if you could save $50,000 per year, save and invest that at 10%, you would have $22 million at the end of that, mm -hmm. that you could you know, pass on down yeah. to your children or whatever. Go on. Yes. So for me, it, it was more like I, if I can cut down on my uh, like taxes and I can start saving more and I can move to a place which is cheaper quality life, like I 10x my quality of life in general. Like let's say I stop paying for super expensive healthcare and I pay for much better, cheaper healthcare somewhere else. It's like my life quality has improved. I, I can just say for myself, like my life quality has improved a ton since the past five years, since I st started to relocate and start uh, changing how I earn money and how I spend my money. Mm. And yeah, so I think that's the number one reason why people should, uh, should consider this and they should think about their kids. And mm -hmm. you should see the direction which EU, US is going with inflation, with ex uh, living expenses, housing costs. Like at some point people are like, screw it. I'm just going to go to Thailand and mm -hmm. buy a house for cheap. And I, yeah, I think you get what I'm saying. It's like, it's, yeah. it's about improving your life. And that's what the jurisdiction arbitrage is about. You yeah. can actually, if you can get a Western salary, live in a country with no uh, uh, income tax and then spend it in a country which has extremely high quality uh, of life to to what you buy i mean everyone it's just win-win for everyone because where you go they get your money you're getting better quality of life and the government let get less money to waste yeah mm. and so simon i totally agree with you but i guess let me just try and answer jimmy's direct question though which mm. is about how do you deal with capital gains tax now mm -hmm. that may not be a, a good answer let's say or this may not uh -huh. be a, a good answer depending on you know of course mm. in many cases it depends because in mm. many cases when you leave that country's tax net per se they may have a rule now in australia this rule is known as deemed disposal you are deemed to have disposed of your capital gains assets at the point where you leave the system now, Australia particularly has a specific rule where you're allowed to offset that or push that into the future. 
Um, so that's one thing you could explore. But depending on the country you're in, you know, it may be a situation where you are, let's say, strategically taking a hit now because you believe in the upside and you would rather have that upside untaxed. So mm. I understand that may be a tough, uh, you know, bitter pill to swallow, um, but you may decide that, look, in some ways, I'm betting on myself, I'm betting on my own ability to go somewhere with lower taxes and earn more. And, you know, especially if you're doing this earlier in your career, earlier in your life, and you've still got a 30 or 40 years to run of compounding, that might be worth it for you. And like I said, that $5,000 savings, whether it's in tax savings or cost of life savings, works out to being 2.2 million. And then if you can save more than that, you're multiplying it massively. So it's, there's a very big incentive to look at these things from a monetary perspective. And you, you, you kind of have to do the numbers for yourself. How much do I realistically think I could save? Do, am I an entrepreneurial person? Or do I think I could make more once I've kind of gotten outside of you know, the high-tax country, gone to the low-tax country? Can I make more over that next 30 or 40 years? That's, I guess, in a way, that's kind of the, the bet you're making. Mm. Well, so let, let's switch gears a little bit. The ta tax stuff is, uh, it gets very specific and depends on exactly where yeah. you're from. But I, I want to touch on something that Simon said, which is the quality of life. And I, I don't think the, uh, a lot of people in Western Europe and the United States they really understand just how much of a step up in quality of life there is once you move to another country, uh, specifically with like getting help on something. Uh, if you have a family, hiring like a live-in nanny or, you know, full-time chef or something like that, it's actually much more affordable. Can you guys talk about that a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think this is something that uh, a lot of people don't understand if they're coming from the Western nations. And part mm. of the reason for this is very high labor costs or very high regulations mm. that stop mm. you having, let's say, a housemaid or a nanny. Mm. Uh, let's mm. say, unless you're very, very wealthy in the West, you probably don't have that because you'd have mm. to be very, very wealthy or very high income to afford that or to make it worthwhile. But in places like Dubai, in the Middle East, in Asia, and probably even in LATAM, it's actually quite a common practice that people will pay and have a housemaid or a nanny to help look after the kids or to help clean the home and it's it's sort of this basic idea that you can take away certain tasks that are not as high value and you're working on your skill which is higher value and you can make more money that way and so i think a lot of people aren't aware of that and so when you move out of the Western world and you see, oh, wait a second, that's actually a common thing that people are doing. Like, it's quite common that people may have a <coughs> Filipina housemaid who helps you or a ha nanny who helps you with your kids. And so you can focus on your work. So that's a really uh, cool thing that people can do. And, I've, I'm, and it's quite popular also in Asia. But yeah, so. Yeah, just hanging around with different Bitcoiners who live abroad. I've, I've been hearing some crazy stories about how people are, are like increasing their lifestyle. Like I have a Bitcoin friend he, he lives in Africa and he has five staff and he just works remotely for his European, for a company in Europe. I mean, if he was living in Europe, it would just be an average salary. Mm. So, and now he has five staff because he has a, a daughter to, to attend at home. And I mean, I have so many stories. Like I know someone who um, was, he had his uh, kids in school back in Sweden and in government school, you're for forced to go to school, which is uh, a bit, um, harsh like it's illegal to homeschool in sweden so you have a lot of people that are moving to other countries like uh, czech republic so there's a huge homeschooling community in czech republic 
for Swedes who are escaping the Swedish school system. And um, I have one example of one I know who had his uh, kids in Swedish school and they told them you cannot be- bring fruits to, to school anymore. They're only going to be provided a half an apple because that's what the budget is for. And they said, well, can, can we just bring their own? No, that will be unequal for the kids who can't bring fruit. It's like insane. And now mm-hmm. he lives in Thailand and he sends his kids to private school who cost less than the taxes he was paying for the school back in Sweden. <laughs> and they have a mountain of fresh tropical fruits at school every day. He just increased his quality of life. I mean, that, this is the stories I try to tell people when they have to start reconsidering that where you live at home is might not be the best you should think yeah. more yeah and so i'm here i'm going to introduce this concept of home country bias right a lot of people have this and it comes from investment so people often only invest locally domestically in the stock market and not internationally but i think we apply this in other ways also so as an example you people just think like simon was saying oh just wherever wherever they live that's the best schools best hospitals best roads best whatever but that's not actually the reality the reality is that there may be many other places that have, let's say, a lower crime rate. For example, the UAE has a very low crime rate. Another example is healthcare. So I oh, yeah. found we had a fan, like, so I, my son was born in the UAE and we found we had a great experience. The hospital, the facilities they had were amazing, far better than what we would have had, even if I was living back in Sydney. And so it sort of really blows your mind that in these other countries you can get better not just like the same but actually better quality services than what you would back in the sort of crumbling west uh, with the high taxes (laughs) and the bureaucracy because they're just wasting a lot of that money and Mm. I think in other countries they have to be competitive and so that's why you're hearing about medical tourism in places like Thailand and Malaysia and even UAE a funny story when I was moving to Malta among the libertarian Swedish community there there was an intern. It was a joke called DDR mode. DDR is East Germany, right? So, like, when you go to another country and you suddenly get blown away by there's no wedding lines for the hospitals. There's no mm-hmm. wedding lines. Uh, wedding lines because rent controls for for getting a rental. Then you just get like mind blown and your brains like what? What's happening? That is when you're on DDR mode. Still, you haven't really adapted away from living in a socialist country. And that's what was a very common thing for, for people moving from Sweden to, to Malta, like experience, like, wow, you don't have to wait for three months to get a rental or a year for hospital. Yeah. I'll give you another I, I guess example. the places oh, you're sorry, from on. are, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, I guess the places that you're from are far more socialist than you would think. I mean, that that's crazy. Yeah, but people living in it doesn't realize. I think it's similar in Canada. Like, it's normal. Like, you, you, you call the doctor and you have to wait a year for, for, some, for a surgery or something. It's normal. And, and they will blame it. Oh, yeah, it's because of COVID. So we have a backlog. I mean, there's always some reason. And, and people go like, oh, yeah, that's understandable. So you don't, nobody questions it. But that's why it's so important to move somewhere else. Just try it for a while. See how other country does it. And then you start to get a more like balanced view on how, how it actually should work or how it could work. And then you start questioning like, crap, I've been like lied to my whole life. I've been lied to that this system was the best in the world or something. So then you start saying, screw this system. I'm not going to support you. <laughs> You've just been screaming over, basically. That's my feeling. Sorry, Stefan, you, you were yeah. uh, going to comment on the, um, I, I guess, uh, the jurisdictional, like, um, 
differences like socialism versus oh right yeah, like yeah yeah i mean look ultimately it's you're like fish in water and you don't really realize what it's like until you've actually gone and lived somewhere else now mm. i don't want to paint an overly rosy picture of course there are challenges of mm. course there are other things that you might have to deal with but I, I've been out for you know over two years now and I find it fantastic. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think it was absolutely the right call. Uh, I look back at the craziness of what's going on back in Australia or in other countries and I'm very happy with my decision. I think the other thing I would say is that most people are operating on a, on a view of other countries that's maybe 20 or 30 years old. So they mm. look back at some of these countries, right? And maybe if you were growing up in America or Australia in the 90s, you would have been like, yeah, hell yeah, it's way better here than in those other countries. But the world has changed. These other mm. countries have grown and they've come up a lot in terms of the quality of life that you can have and the safety level that you can have and the health that you can have and the speed of the internet that you can have. And the, you know, all of these things, you'll find that actually it's improved, improved a lot in some of these other countries and you can get even better value for money. So especially in an age where you can work remotely and you can obviously earn Bitcoin, then there's a massive freedom and there's a massive arbitrage there that's available to you if you're able to earn Bitcoin or you know, earn online and then spend locally in a country where your money takes you so much further. Mm. Yeah, and that, that's something that I observed when I was uh, traveling through a lot of these places is that you know, now that I'm back in Boston, I mean, Austin, you know, everything is more expensive here than pretty much every other country I visited, including Dubai, which is not exactly cheap either. But uh, but, you know, relatively speaking, it was still much less expensive than Austin. Um, let, let's switch gears a little bit uh, and talk about sort of the long term uh, things that you're thinking about. Obviously, Stefan, you're you're raising a family there. And uh, Simon, I, I'm not sure about your situation, but how are you thinking about the long term and raising a family and uh, sort of having, uh, you know, figuring out what you're going to do in the future with respect to all of that? Yeah. So for me, I, yeah, like you said, I'm based in Dubai, but I'm also looking at, okay, uh, what would be plan B if we needed to go somewhere? And so, you know, you kind of just want to have ideas in your mind about where you would go if you needed to. If you needed to. And so, mm. as an example, if I have family in Sri Lanka, then maybe Sri Lanka is another choice for me. Or maybe there's somewhere else in Asia that would make sense for me. That's an example. But for the most part, I think Dubai and the UAE, uh, I'm comfortable with that mm-hmm. because I, I'm, sort of, I'm bullish on Dubai in, gen- in general. Like mm-hmm. I think more people are moving here. I think the quality of life and the standards are going to keep rising here um, just because of, I think they're managing it a little bit better than some mm-hmm. of the other countries. You know, um, Nowhere on earth is perfect, but I'm comfortable with sort of the trade-offs that you get by being in Dubai in terms of the low taxes and sort of the quality of the services and the safety and, and these other aspects. And, you know, but part of, part of it for me is also having some level of flexibility uh, that, you know, if things were, weren't so good here, well, then you can go somewhere else. And ultimately, that's kind of like a market test, right? If, mm-hmm. if, if the place is doing well, they'll attract investors, entrepreneurs, employees, tourists. They'll just attract people. And if, you know, if not, then you go somewhere else. And so I'm just sort of keeping my eyes more open to those options um, because obviously... You know, the next, who knows, 10, 20 years, as the world transitions to Bitcoin, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get crazy out there. So you just have to try and be ready for <laughs> different scenarios. Mm. 
I think this place is great if you are uh, like a young professional or you're earning your money and you're saving because of the economics and uh, the just all the connections you can make here because all the great people that are coming in and out here. So you can build your network here. But I don't think I would uh, raise a family here because it's, to me, it's, this is place is just a desert. So <laughs> like I can I can only I can't imagine my kids go out and play here. It's like it's mostly highways and deserts. So. I would probably find some place that are more uh, down to earth, more relaxing. But I will probably just, uh, I'm planning to keep this place as my like economic base, even though I might not live here full time. I might come here now and then, but just, just a structure. But I'm going to continue finding new places where I get a residency visa, where I open bank accounts or just keeping all these flags and I mean, when it comes to family stuff, I think it's important to find some local community. And there are like, like I mentioned, Czech Republic has a huge Swedish community for people that are homeschooling, for example. So that is an option I could uh, consider when, when that time comes. But yeah. Well, that that's interesting that you guys both have uh, sort of like different like plans and you, you have backup plans to your current plan and you have other jurisdictions that you can go and, and, and use for different purposes. Uh, and I, I think that's kind of foreign to a lot of people that are listening to this podcast. They're, they're not thinking in terms of, okay, how do I, how do I maximize uh, the quality of my life by having, uh, as you said, Simon, different flags planted in different places and using that, for various purposes, uh, maybe your business is here, your family is here, the education of some of your people and community is here, or whatever. Um, and that that that's something that I I don't think people are used to because, like you said, it's uh it's kind of mind blowing that you can sort of like pick and choose like you're in a candy store, right? Like, uh, all right, I want I want some of this, I want some of this, I want some of this. <laughs> yeah. um, and that that that's a that's a very different mentality to get into I, I of know. like picking jurisdictions for various but advantages. After you hang around in this community, like these nomad or expatriates communities for a while, it gets normal. Like you ask people, oh, so where are you spending your winter season? Oh yeah, I'm gonna go to <laughs> Bali, or I'm gonna go in Thailand. Oh yeah, sure, I'm also gonna go. Let's hang out and like. And then when he, after a while you speak to some people back home, it's just grinding away in some office. They're like, oh yeah. My my life is a bit uh, different. I'm just flying around all the time. Well, people, some people are just stuck in some cubicle or, or something. Yeah, and, I but, think, yeah, go on. <laughs> yeah, I, and I can I can also I can totally see my my kids if I if I have some like traveling with me. Like we have our like the Mempool office is incorporated in Japan. We have our office in Japan. I could totally like see myself spending a few years there, uh, months there per year. Spending a few months in Dubai and then just traveling around. I've seen families like this, like these nomad families. I just look what Daniel's, Daniel Prince is doing with his kids. Like they're like on the move and their kids are like crazy social because they're seeing the world and talking to people. They're way more social than I was when I was at that age, right? Because I was probably just stuck in some government school. Yeah. yeah. And I, look, I, I agree. I think there's a lot of things that you can do to sort of make it work. Uh, I understand at the start you may think, oh, that just must be a single man's game or maybe uh, maybe a couple could do it. But without, mm -hmm. once you've got kids, you just can't do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I think there are people who are really doing that and, you know, you'd be surprised, right? Like like Simon was saying. Um, but that's it. I will say it, it is also true that, let's say, children like stability. 
right? So you can yeah. understand where they maybe they have a bit of a need for that. But maybe you, you satisfy that in other ways. Maybe you sort of have a home base in one place, but you still do a bit of traveling around. Um, you know, there's, there's different ways to look at the world when you look at it kind of like, like you said, it's kind of like you're picking from the buffet. Oh, I want a bit of, you know, I want a bit of ribeye and I'd like a bit of, you know, a bit of lamb and a bit of, you know, whatever. Like you can, you start to decide, you know what? I don't need to just be stuck in one place with one citizenship, with one residence, with one business incorporated there, with bank accounts only from this place, with everything, etc. from that one place. You can sort of pick and choose and find a way to sort of structure your life in a way that design you know you can design your lifestyle in a way that suits you yeah. uh, and now i will say it would be nice if you could if there was just one place you could go and set up and be there mm. hey wouldn't it be nice right to have your extended family there and you know friends and people who you've grown up with yeah wouldn't it be nice i agree but sadly for me i see it like that's just not possible in today's world with the way governments are because fundamentally they will abuse you they will abuse us because they know they've sort of colloquially got you by the balls right they know they've got you and they can just they can just they can turn the heat up on that little stove that you're in without you knowing and next thing you know oh here's a new property tax so do you really own that property that you thought was your family's <laughs> guess not you know and you, you've heard i'm sure you guys have heard stories of you know let's say a farming families where maybe one generation died and then because of the inheritance tax, they weren't able to pay it. They had to sell the farm, you know, like th mm. these kinds of things can happen. And so I think what's happening in the world today with Bitcoin, with online remote working mm. is that more and more people are diversifying themselves. And mm. yes, it's not as theoretically optimal as if there was one pl perfect place, but I think of it like maybe there's, there just is no one perfect place and you just have to, sort of structure your life and deal with it. And you know what? Maybe someday when we have Bitcoin Citadels, like real Bitcoin Citadels, <laughs> then maybe. But, you know, we've got, to, we've got to make it to that. And that might be decades away. So mm. that's, that, I guess that's a bit of my perspective. Hopefully that helps people mm. uh, understand a little bit, even though it's a different mindset from the typical I've just born here and I'm going to die here mindset. Mm. Hopefully it helps explain that. Well, so let, let's talk about some of the downsides of uh, of this kind of lifestyle, because I, I think we've made it seem like it's like, you know, great for taxes and family and different right. perspectives and, you know, uh, keeping your property and things like that. Uh, but what what are some of the downsides? What are, what are some things that people should know before sort of considering doing something like this? So logistically, it'll be more effort, depending on the place you live it could be the weather that you don't like. So for example, Dubai has a few months in the year, let's say four or five months, let's say like May to sort of September, then it gets really hot. We're talking 45 degrees hot. That's like, that, in that's American in Celsius. So. It's like 110, <laughs> I think 110 or so Fahrenheit, something like that. So it's, you know, very hot. Um, mm. I mean, but that's an example. Uh, mm. You might, you might, have a little bit more logistical trouble with things, right? Because maybe you're doing things across different jurisdictions. You might, you might see family less. Some family, mm. you might see them less. So that's another trade-off that you have to be comfortable with. Um, you know, it's not all, uh, it's not all mm. amazing and roses, you know? Um, mm -hmm. But uh, th there Language are certain barrier, maybe. Yeah, depending on where you are. I mean, that said, there are certain places that you can go where kind of English is kind of very well spoken. Mm. Or maybe for a Spanish speaker, LATAM and Spain kind of give you a lot of choices there. So, you know, 
yeah, there's a few downsides there. I mean, Simon, if you want to throw anything in. Yeah, I was just thinking because downsides, because it's, it's for me, it's a bit hard to, to, to even uh, come up with a downside. For, for me, it was mostly that the early, the first few years was, I think was the hardest when you have to adapt to, to new places and stuff, but then you get used to it. Like it's this barrier you have to go through to learn how to adapt to a new place, new rules, new laws, new cultures and, and how to do stuff. So it's like this. I think, and I also think it it gets harder the older you are. So like my parents were like, I, I'm telling them like you should move somewhere else to retire someone else and because they love the sun and it's like, it's never sunny in Sweden. And they were, <laughs> and they were like, no, we were too old to that. We could never do that. So I think you have to start earlier. The earlier you start, the less invested you are in your, your home country. Like they feel like you maybe you paid tax your whole life. Now you want something back for retirement. You can't just leave. I think. Um, I think that's probably what first comes to mind. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe, I, I, maybe, yeah. And yeah, you right. also have some nationalistic feelings sometimes. Like you think about your home country, like that, where you're from, where you're born. I used to be nationalistic about that and how, how to feel. Like you become, I become less and less like the years goes by. And then I see all the, I see the development and like how I was just becoming worse. And I'm just, oh yeah, glad I, I saw that coming. Like, five, 10 years earlier. So, uh, so you can have that, uh, kind of uh, anger, but at the same time, like I see people that like staying in their home country whole life and just complaining online all day long, like complain, oh, it's so bad here. Like, but they don't do anything about it. So, I mean, <laughs> from that perspective, like you can relax and be happy about actually you've done something at least. I don't know. Yeah. I would say, I would add that you have to really make it work for yourself and for your family, you know, depending on what you want, right? Like if you want low taxes, okay, yeah, there's places that can give you low taxes. If you want, you know, low crime rate, there's places that, that can give you that. If you want, you know, you sort of have to choose what's most important to you and be willing to make certain trade-offs, right? And depending on where you choose, there may be some, you know, as an example, maybe you go to some of the Caribbean islands and some of those Caribbean islands have very low tax, but maybe the infrastructure is not so great there. Or maybe you pay a very high import duty when you're buying food and things there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I think I think yeah. the biggest thing is that you have to accept that there are trade-offs. Like the supermarket is not going to have the same stuff that you're used to <laughs> and, and stuff like that. And a lot of people I've spoken to, they're like, no, no, I would never accept something like that. So you have to broaden your mind and accept that maybe eating different kinds of, food, of foods than you yeah. did before and different quality of food and yeah. I think, yeah, you, I think that's a great point. I think you need a little bit of flexibility if you are looking at this kind of lifestyle because if you're very rigid, as an example, um, if you are very rigid and you're sort of used to eating like the best quality meat, let's say Australia, right? Australia has great quality <laughs> meat. You, you, you know, maybe you're going to have to be willing to pay more if you're doing that in other countries because maybe, you know, it's just going to be a different thing. But you could also hey say, hey, look, I'm going to save this much on taxes. I'm okay to pay a bit more for my meat to get the high quality meat. Because, hey, I'm saving all this money on taxes or whatever. So, mm. Or maybe I, there's a business opportunity that I can get here in this country that I couldn't back in the other country. So, but, yeah, broadly speaking, try and look at what the locals are doing and see how they do things. Or at least find expat and other kind of nomad communities in the place you're in and s sort of figure out from them, oh, okay, this is how you do things. Maybe this is how you get a phone or this is how you get a a bank account or this is how you get whatever, whatever you need um, to sort of sort things out. Um, but I would say 
if you are being sort of, if you're trying to be like truly nomadic, well, another tip I would give people is if you change places too quickly, it becomes very difficult to acclimatize and understand that new place because now you're thinking, okay, how do I do laundry here? How do I get food here? How do I go to the, how do I find a gym here? How do I get a phone plan here? Like it's just, it's too many logistical things to sort out. Whereas if you are a bit more deliberate about your choices in which place you go and maybe you spend a bit longer in those places, then it can make more sense. Um, or the other approach, which is more what I'm doing, is more like Dubai is the home base and I might travel around for a Bitcoin conference or a libertarian conference, but Dubai is still the home base. You know, That's kind of how I'm looking at it. But other people are taking a bit more of a sort of nomad-ish uh, pathway about it. Yeah, so what I'm hearing from you guys is that... Um there's sort of like a, a kind of personality, and I think it's uh, induced by fiat, where you kind of expect things to be the same. And that's definitely not the case if you are doing some form of jurisdictional arbitrage and you can't expect the same things. So it requires some level of flexibility, uh, some level of uh, openness to new experiences, which I, I think Bitcoiners generally have. But it is something where... You know, if you if you've been in the fiat system and everything's ossified, then yeah, you're 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 probably not going to be happy uh, because that's that's kind of what you're used to. Uh, whereas you know, for someone that's uh, that's like you you guys, where you're you're comfortable with change and comfortable with making trade offs and uh, you know figuring out what's what's best for you and your family, then then yeah, by all means, like go, go and try, try these things and see, see what works for you and what, what trade-offs you want. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I think if you've seen through history, like people that take that step to migrate to another country to increase the living standard, like these people are so much, well, much more well-off compared to the people that stayed home, right? And you, I think you, they measured like people from Nigeria who immigrated to US or something, you can compare how much their life quality increased. And there's even a, there was even a study back in Sweden, actually, for the people that emigrated during the 1800s, it was a great famine back in Europe. So many, a million people immigrated to US. And now they made, they made studies and they can see that the, these Swedes after a generation had like the twice the li living standard than the people that stayed behind. And the people that left was actually the poorest people that had that felt most desperate, that wanted to leave. So just over and over, you can see how, yeah, you're basically lifting your quality of life if you dare to do this, this move. And people are doing it for themselves and for the family, like the future of their family, right? Yeah, I'll just add something there as well. So the irony is at the time I left Sri Lanka, I was a baby, I was two years old, right? But uh, my dad was 33. And mm. at the same time, I left Australia when I was 33. <laughs> so it kind of, you know, nice. it's just sort of like, it's, it's kind of, there's a funny rhythm of how it can work that, you know, and in fairness, if you're coming out of Sri Lanka and you're getting a chance to go to Australia, that's an upgrade, right? Mm. But it's mm -hmm. just sort of like, for me, moving out of Australia was an upgrade because I could find lower taxes and find other, a different kind of culture as well. Like, it's not just taxes, it's also you know, not having to worry as much about politics in certain ways. Because in Australia, you're sort of forced to think about these things because everyone is, you know, because it's such a strong focus on democracy and things like this. Whereas when you're an expat, to some extent, you're sort of floating above in a, in a kind of loose way. <laughs> you're, well, right? you're so, not voting, so... <laughs> yeah, and, but I mean, like, you know, maybe they, they won't care as much about 
you mm-hmm. in terms of, let's say, uh, uh, certain rules. They may not care about enforcing mm-hmm. those on you because they're, you're kind of seen like, oh, you're an expat or whatever. You know, so in certain mm-hmm. circumstances, it can be your be- to your benefit to be in that mm-hmm. scenario. So you can sort of get the better treatment um, mm-hmm. because some countries will treat their tourists better than they do their own citizens, right? In a way, in a <laughs> in a weird, perverse way, right? Because citizens are the ones who have to pay the taxes. Tourists don't. So it's kind of that's mm-hmm. a quick example, right? So it's it's just showing you that if you're, uh, yeah, flexible, and if you are, let's say, ambitious, and you're willing to, you know move overseas or kind of move go west right in the uh, in the old mm-hmm. sense and i mean if you think about it america is a nation of people who were going mm-hmm. to the frontier in a sense so you know it's not such a crazy idea right like it's not that weird historically when you really think about it that a lot of people were doing this and have already been doing this so mm-hmm. you know i think just give it a try right mm. and, and here's the well, other thing you can give it a try and if it doesn't work you can just go back Right, it's not like forever. I think oh, yeah. a lot of people think of it, think of it like, oh, it's like a permanent thing, or maybe they would feel embarrassed to go back and talk to their friends back at the, you know. But ultimately, it's your life. You get one of these lives. Like, go out there and give it a try. And if it doesn't work, then go back home. Well, so let's talk about that because I, I think what what causes hesitation isn't necessarily the logistics although you know certainly knowing all of that would help it's uh it's a it's sort of a lack of courage it's it's like fear that they're you know like all the stuff that they don't know about is going to crush them so like for you guys um you know you've obviously been through that you know like hesitation at the beginning and so on what what was it that helped you have the courage to go out and kind of live in a different place like you guys have for me i remember it i was very hesitant and looking back that was i I don't see a reason why i would be hesitant but i think it it helped a lot to like go to bitcoin conferences and get uh get inspired by other people that were doing the same because there's a lot of these people talking about um decentralize yourself opt out from the system right? You should get a secondary passport, right? Secondary, you have the plan B passports, for example, mm-hmm. and you have the, uh, it's, it's called, um, there's a guy from, I think it's from Czechoslovakia runs a company uh, called Liberty Travel, I think it's called, and he's selling like Puerto Rico, uh, not Puerto Rico, but uh, Paraguay residencies and stuff. So, you have, so I was seeing these guys, seeing how they were freeing themselves from the system. And just because of my political linings towards libertarianism and Bitcoin, like that came so natural to me. Like I have to I have to do this. Like this only it's the only way for me. So I think for me it was very political and it still is. Like I'm not gonna change my mind because of the of out of convenience. I'm gonna sacrifice convenience out of my conviction. Mm. And for a lot of people, a lot of normal people that are like stuck in the fiat world or believe the government and believe the fiat system they're probably not not going to do this but there's a bigger chance for bitcoiners to do this because they are all they constantly get this propaganda from from the bitcoin space about that free yourself a bitcoin the government is a scam the fiat system is a scam so so you you get more uh, ideas like this right yeah for me it was a combination of talking to other bitcoiners and seeing that there were already these existing digital nomad and expat communities, right? So as an example, you can see there's Facebook groups in pretty much any country. You can see like expat group for this. And 
you know, you can see like Australian expat group in XYZ country as an example. Um, and so part of it, obviously for me, as I mentioned, part of it was getting away from the hysteria, right? Like I just, mm. I just 2020 was what really crystallized a lot of things. Like I was already a libertarian for, you know, decades, mm -hmm. but 2020 just sort of forced the issue on me because it was like, okay, mm. if I stay here, they're just going to keep taxing me and I'm still going to live in this woke country that's kind of going more and more left. And there's very little that I can do about it because I'm vastly, vastly outnumbered. Why am I trying to quote unquote stay and fight when it's just not looking very good from a staying and fighting perspective? I might as well leave. And so at that point, you know, 2020 was sort of me planning my escape and I was like researching and looking <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> getting out of the jail of Australia. But, uh, and then, yeah, talking to people who were already yeah. doing that. Like I was talking. I think it's the realization that you can't change the system from within. Like we can't change the fiat system. It's like hopeless with Bitcoin. You can actually practically opt out. And it's the same, what we're doing with changing countries. You, you have to just opt out, even though it, it's painful, it hurts, it, it crushes some hearts, but that's what you have to do. It's just, that's what I feel. Yeah. I will add there that I think coming back to some of the downsides, like you asked about earlier, mm -hmm. Jimmy, one I didn't mention and I just came, it just came to me now is you do pay somewhat of a social cost because mm. there are a lot of people who I'm not as close with now because I'm not in Sydney anymore. I'm not there anymore right now. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I text with a few of them here and there. Um, but quite frankly, yeah, there is somewhat of a social cost that I paid to do this, but fundamentally I think it was hundred percent worth it. Right. And I've made a whole bunch of new other friends. Right. So mm. I think, uh, you can, you know, it comes down to the kind of person you are as well. Obviously, if you're sort of more going out to events, maybe if you're extroverted, you can make new friends pretty easily and that can be a cool thing. But if you're maybe an introvert uh, and you, you still want to make some connections, but you're not good at talking to people and making new friends, that might be a bit of a downside for you. But I guess for me, it wasn't so much because I was already a bit more able to kind of make new friends and make new contacts in you know mm -hmm. where I'm going. So, yeah, but, you know, to be fair, there is some level of social cost you pay. Mm. That, that's, that's all pretty, you know, it, it can be like sort of daunting. And I guess uh, getting over those costs and like making the leap and doing it, it's, it's kind of a momentous decision, right? Like it's, it's, not, it's not something that should be taken lightly. But at the same time, I think too many people sort of dismiss it out of hand because they're they're so comfortable where they are even though they're complaining about everything that's going on um so i i guess uh sort of like the the thing that i'm curious about with respect to i don't know uh agency or whatever is that uh both of you sort of uh express this concern that you you really can't stay and fight in a lot of these places because it's it's just so hopeless in some ways I, there, there are other people that are like, you know, you should stay and fight so that you can you can at least, uh, you know, fight for something better. Um, like, how do you deal with that? Because in a sense, where, wherever you go, you're going to have even less influence over the policy of the jurisdiction that you're going to than the jurisdiction that you came from. So, like, how do you think about that? And are you just sort of moving jurisdictions as they get worse and worse or like how do you how do you um deal with that long term i guess i think the competitive pressure that jurisdictions place onto each other 
is going to be so far greater than mm. uh, using the uh, suggestion box for slaves, which is democracy. <laughs> Fundamentally, we are stuck in, a, in various systems around the world, and you can go make a little suggestion in your suggestion box. They can just say, oh, look, nah. Oh, hey, look, <laughs> we investigated ourselves, and guess what? We found we did nothing wrong, and that's what the state can do to you. Uh, fundamentally, I think of it like this. If you can sort of, if you are potentially a high net worth individual, a high, a high skill worker or a high skill entrepreneur, in a, in a sense, when you leave that country, they're getting hit in the bottom line. They mm. need to start being competitive. And when more and more people start doing that, it will start driving competitive pressure. And so mm. I think that's actually, and to be fair, I think all of these things help each other, right? So for example, I'm not saying everybody must go and be a, an expat or a nomad or whatever. Mm. Um, you know, there are different movements that can work. So for example, I like the Texas, Texas secession movement. I think that's a great thing. Mm -hmm. You know, all of these movements, they, they can help each other, right? The Bitcoin movement, the secession movement, the, let's say even the New Hampshire Free State Project, you know, mm. all of these things can sort of apply competitive pressure to the state and make it harder for them to just keep tyrannizing people because now, as the sovereign individual says, I think it's this idea of the tax cattle have grown wings. Mm. Mm. You, can, you can vote with your feet, in other words, and that, that's more effective than a vote in the ballot box. I think you also do have to uh, assess the likelihood of where you are and what, what are the chances of winning where you are. Because th think of it this way. Sometimes the culture and the way a place is can become very entrenched. So, for example, mm. there may be a lot of people who are working for the government, sucking at the government teat, mm. uh, the taxpayer teat. And you might rationally conclude, look, there's so many people who are either directly working for the government or indirectly working for the government because maybe their big contracts are with the government, that I'm going to have very little success trying to push in a more liberty-focused direction in this country or in this state that I'm in. So why don't I leave? So I think, mm. for me, it's about assessing the, stay, the, you know, the likelihood of winning in the stay-and-fight scenario because maybe the culture is just turning against you. Because sadly, whether we like it or not, the statists have control of so many things. They control the media. They control education, both the you know, lower school, higher school, and university. They control Hollywood. They control, you know, they, they control, the, you know, they just control so many angles that you have to be strategic and play where you think you can win. I think that's yeah. how I would, that's how I see it. I just didn't see a very high probability of staying and fighting in Australia. Simon, I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I agree. And I... I think more people should just vote, vote with their feet and take their money and leave to set put pressure on on the local government, right? I'm I'm seeing I'm watching the European Union and they're just imposing more and more crazy like regulations year after year. They want to put full KYC AML on all Bitcoin payments. They want to put surveillance in all chat applications. So I'm telling everyone, if you're in the European Union, just leave the EU. Like leave the EU now before it gets too late, because you're not going to be able to do any business there. You're not going to be able to run a Bitcoin company. You're not going to be able to pay with your Bitcoin. You might not be able to sell your Bitcoin because you cannot convert it because you don't, you lack the paperwork for, to pass the AML policy and stuff. So, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> you're very, yeah. very bearish on the EU. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm extreme, <laughs> extremely bearish. Yeah. So, so, 
you should just go where if everyone just goes to El Salvador, take their Bitcoin there, and that mm-hmm. that place, boom, you're gonna see other countries that are following pursuit doing what El Salvador did with the making Bitcoin legal tender. And I think we've seen it everywhere. I mean, Dubai, they want to get some a piece of cake of all the crypto money here as well. They like have so many laws and free zones now for accept this kind of money here. So just to attract that kind of capital. So here I see they're doing the right thing. They're doing, uh, they're doing exactly the opposite of what EU is doing. They Here they want to accept money in people and capital. In the EU, they want to kick, kick everyone out, like kick out the rich people, basically. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know what they're thinking, honestly, but uh, yeah, people should leave and go to places that are actually... <laughs> welcome people and there's lot, tons of countries that do they have programs like if you if you google digital nomad visa you get all these countries i think it's about 100 countries that have special visas for people that want you to come there lower your taxes and work Spend remotely yeah. yeah and usually there's no western european country on that list they don't want you yeah you have all these countries are from eastern europe asia southeast asia these kind of countries they are hungry for growth they want people to go there and that's why they're booming and that's why it's and it's still very safe and secure so yeah yeah and one other thing i want to add here to the you know should you leave or quote unquote stay and fight because here's the thing if i stayed and fight if i tried to stay and fight in australia as just as an example the corporate tax rate there i haven't checked recently but it's maybe 28 or 29 percent the marginal tax rate so the maximum tax rate as in the top once you're in the top bracket is 48.5% or maybe 49.5%. And then there's other taxes you pay, alcohol taxes and whatever, whatever other stuff. I mean, I don't drink nowadays, but you know, whatever. Mm. But the point is, if you tried to stay, you're putting yourself arguably at a big disadvantage. Because if you go somewhere with low taxes, that might put you and your business at, a, at an advantage. Because if you open your eyes to the world and you start saying, well, instead of just thinking... I need to do all my business in this one country and start thinking more like, well, wait, wait, hang on a second, I can go somewhere here where, there's, where they've got lower taxes there and maybe mm-hmm. I can hire remotely. I can also you know, do an online business and hire from other countries instead of thinking, oh, I need to set up a business in Australia and hire only Australians and have an Australian bank account. Maybe you're just not being as competitive as somebody who is taking advantage of the, the buffet of choices around the world. So there's also a competitiveness aspect to it. So even if you, you know, thought ideologically staying and fighting because you're trying to sort of save the country or in some sense, you might be better off getting out overseas and building more wealth, you know, for your Mm. own family and for your own community. So Mm. I I guess there's different ways to come at that, but that's one way to think of it. Mm. Your economic power is way more important than your political power is, I think, what you're saying. Yeah. I mean, arguably, <laughs> you could come back after 30 or 40 years with that, all that wealth you made and then start your own media company and influence things in your own way. I mean, maybe that's an example, right? I, I, I think you are already doing that, Stefan. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, let, let, let's start wrapping up here. Uh, so. W- for people that are thinking about this stuff, uh, what what are what's like the one piece of advice that you you uh, you guys would give uh, to people that are even thinking about you know changing jurisdictions or um, you know uh, figuring out a new place to go? I think that the first thing that everyone has to do is like number one, you have to be able to 
work online or have a set up a business that you can do remotely or from another country. Otherwise, you're basically stuck where you are. If you, if you work in a particular field, you, you might have no choice because you're selling to local customers and you have to be on site. But I think, uh, I mean, Stefan is doing his podcasting and I'm doing my developing and we are a full remote team actually at the Mempool uh, company. So you should try to pivot to a, some doing something where you can do it uh, no matter where you are. And after you reach that step, or you maybe already have a remote job, you can start uh, like trying to tr- start traveling more, start going to Bitcoin communities all around the world, like just going somewhere, staying for a month and go back and hang out with other Bitcoiners that are expatriates in that countries. For me, I, I was just like looking at countries I had, I was very tempted to go to, like I had this idea about Singapore being really great. So I I just bought a ticket to Singapore. I went there, stayed a few weeks, hang around, met people just to see how it is, right? So you should take that first just travel step because you have to, it has to start with travel and then you can start just traveling for longer time. Yeah. And wanna... yeah, you can continue, please. Yeah, I mean, I, I just want to echo that, to be honest. I think that is the number one thing is try to get on the ground, right? Because here's the thing. Sometimes headlines that you read on the media won't be accurate. And you need to get on the ground in that country or at the very least talk to somebody who is on the ground because they can give you the real reality of what it's like there. Uh, And in many cases, random headlines uh, about a country may not be accurate or they may be sort of written by somebody who is also subject to home country bias, right? That's Mm. some random reporter who's writing about a country they've never been to and just saying, oh, look at this terrible thing that happened in this other country. You shouldn't go there. It's not safe or whatever. The reality of it is more like you can you know, look past those headlines and do a bit more research and actually get on the ground. Uh, and there are, I guess one other tip I would give is a lot of people think the place they're in is the best at everything, but it's really not. And you can look and compare that objectively. So as an example, you can look at numbio.com and that's an example where it can show you things like the cost of living across different places. And you can mm-hmm. actually compare what is the cost of living in this place versus that other place. What is the crime rate in this place versus that other place? And get a more objective sense of safety, of cost of living, or of other aspects that, you can, that can give you an idea about what place might be good, what place might be bad. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, travel is definitely important for that because you, you get to sort of experience a lot of that firsthand and see, okay you know what, I, I really miss this or I, uh, I really like this and, and things like that to sort of uh, get a better gauge of what, what trade-offs you're willing to make uh, versus which trade-offs you're, you're not. I, w- I would also say that maybe um, you should get out of debt first if you are thinking about doing any <laughs> of this stuff because if you have debt, you're pretty much stuck. You, you really can't move. Um, and that, that's unfortunately the reality for a very large number of people. Uh, thankfully, Bitcoin lets us save and, um, you know, it does give us sort of a lower time preference. So we are more motivated to get rid of the debt. Um, anyway, thank you guys so much for uh, being uh, on this podcast and talking about this, because I, I don't think we talk about these options nearly enough. Um, is there anything uh, where, where can people find you? Are, are there any things that you guys are working on that you guys want to um, sort of tell my audience? Uh, yeah, I mean, StefanLevera.com uh, to find my podcast, Swan.com to find Swan. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, look, I, 
hope people uh, consider some of the options. I think there are a lot of options out there and people overly, I guess, put themselves into a cage of their own mind. And you can, you can step outside that. You can free yourself from that and really open your mind to the options. There's over 200 jurisdictions around the world. You know, what are the chances that you were just born into the best one? Mm. Simon? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, Soft Simon. And uh, I just want to recommend, like, if you're interested in like, this topic more, there are a lot of YouTube influencers, like the Nomad Capitalist, like the Wealthy Expat, that is a little bit more targeted to the UE. And like just the digital nomad uh, a movement in general, which is huge now. Like if you search for digital nomad on YouTube, you find these people living in Thailand, working remotely. Watching these videos can make you inspired. I think it worked for me a lot when I was sitting back in winter, snow, cold, watching this video from people working with a laptop from, from the beach. <laughs> Might not be accurate, but uh, you, this stuff can tempt you to like ch realize that there are actually other options you can do with your life like plan your life yeah all right bitcoiners go travel go try this stuff and figure out if this uh this sort of lifestyle is for you and vote with your feet instead of your ballots all right thank you guys thanks jimmy thank you Unchained Capital is a sponsor of this podcast. I'm an advisor to the company. I know the team well, and I'm excited for what they are building. If you need multi-sig, collaborative custody, or a Bitcoin native financial services partner, learn more at unchained.com.